Episode 35 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on May 1st, 2017. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, I'll look at the current state of Absolute for Veteran and Master Modes. Is there a problem and can it be fixed? Also this week, we've heard a lot of talk about the producer's roadmap. I'll give you my predictions on what it will contain and what I'd like to see in the roadmap. And finally this week, I'll answer the question that people love to ask, and that's, would you play this game if it wasn't about Star Wars? And with that, it's time to make the jump to lightspeed and check out the state of the Old Republic. Well, welcome to episode 35 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another terrific show lined up for you today. Now, normally I start off with announcements, but I actually don't have any today, so let's just slice the holonet and get straight to the news this week. And first up today is Game Update 5.2.1, which is releasing on May 2nd. Uh, patch notes were released late today, and here are some of the things it will address, and these are only some of the patch notes. I'll put a link to the full list on the podcast site, but these are just some of the, the pertinent fixes that are going to be addressed in 5.2.1. So, uh, May the 4th, uh, in honor of May the 4th, uh, log in between May 2nd and May 8th to earn your very own M4Y6 Astromech Mini Pet. And there's also going to be a double XP event that's going to run from May 4th to May 14th. So, I don't know, if you had a hankering to, to level up an alt, or maybe someone that you haven't gotten to 70 during the last uh, big XP event, there will be a double XP event in honor of May the 4th. Uh, other notes. GSI satellite support terminals are once again active on Makeb. Uh, extra Extrication and rescue are no longer usable on allies who are in a mounted turret on Iocath. Uh, let's see, the maximum number of Galactic Alliance statue decorations has been increased to 10 up from 1. And this is something that I reported, and I don't know why it's now up to 10, because if you recall when the, the statue was introduced as part of the five-year anniversary, you could only have a maximum of 1, even though every single tune on your legacy received one it was kind of silly and then i believe they upped it to i want to say 50 uh and then somewhere along the lines it got reverted back to one which is really odd and now they've increased it to 10 i don't know why they don't increase it to 50 or even higher only because every time you create a new tune and every tune that you have currently has gotten one of these statues and i just hate to see these these decorations go to waste when they hand them out to pretty much every single tune uh, that you have, but there you go. If you've, uh, have some of these sitting in your, in your, uh, cargo hold or legacy cargo hold or wherever, uh, you can now have up to 10 of these. Uh, Iocath daily missions have had their command experience, CXP rewards increased, and they will now, they will also now reward consumable CXP packs, and I believe, uh, Keith Kanig, 
in an earlier post mentioned these were going to be sort of the the, the smaller uh, smaller ones, like equivalent to a small flashpoint or something like that. So not major, but but still uh, better than what they are now. Uh, Iocath Sentinel Walker and Mouse Droid daily missions have had a credit boom or credit explosion, and Iocath shard clusters added to their mission rewards. Uh, also, while on Iocath, players in an operation group will now receive mission progress, even if they are, are in a different subgroup than the party leader. Uh, players who complete the main story mission on Iocath, while also on a repeatable chapter, will no longer be locked from gaining Alara Dorn or Malavai Quinn as a companion. So that's, that's pretty big. That was one of the bigger bugs uh, where people were completing the story, but weren't getting their companions, and they couldn't figure out why that was going on. In fact, Eric Musco posted something about that on the forums uh, earlier this week and did mention it was going to be addressed in 5.2.1, and there there you go. So you should be able to get uh, your companions if you completed completed the story. Um, a couple things they note, and I'm still going to keep it spoiler-free this week because I really don't have time uh, to talk much about the story, but there are definitely some legitimate ways, by the way, where you could complete the story and actually not get... Uh, Quinn or uh, Dorn as a companion, and 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 when I say legitimate ways, I mean they're 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 intended based on perhaps choices you made um, during Knights of the Fallen Empire and Knights of the Eternal Throne that uh, uh, these guys may not have liked and may not wish to join you. So we'll leave it at that. So uh, completing a weekly mission on Iocath will no longer prevent a character from switching factions, and the Colossus droid on Iocath will no longer reset during an encounter. And I need to check, but I think there was also another note. Let me see if I can find it here that talked about uh, different kinds of Iocath shard clusters. And I'm going to actually do this live stream here and peruse the notes in real time. Um, Yes, there is a new item, legendary Iocath shard cluster. This consumable is dropped from some daily missions on Iocath. This shard cluster is bind on pickup and will award more shards than the artifact Iocath shard uh, cluster. So that's nice, I guess. You know, I always felt like when you've seen the cost of the uh, vehicle items, like the monitor droids, the walkers and everything, and the number of shards uh, that they cost, it's very high. I talked about that last week. I think it's too high. And even though you get a lot of shards, I mean, you don't really get enough shards to make that feel like it's worthwhile. Plus, if you die while um, running using one of those vehicles, you 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 lose the form, and there's the only way to get it back is to repurchase it. And you know, and as I said, it's very very expensive. So hopefully, these legendary shard clusters will be something that we see fairly often, and will help uh, just increase the the, the the flow of shards uh, coming in to make those vehicle quests uh, feel a little bit cheaper, I guess. So anyway, so that's it for the patch notes. 5.2.1 drops on May the 2nd. So I closed out uh, the second week in my new guild, and boy, I have to say, what a difference having a group of people to do things with makes. And it's funny for me to say that because I also play World of Warcraft, and I'm in a guild that does progression rating. But for the most part, that's all I do with them. And that's pretty much where I spend my time. And I don't do much outside of rating in, in that game. And in fact, when I'm not rating, I'm playing Star Wars The Old Republic. But now that I'm in a guild and getting to know some folks, and uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot of different activities that I was not doing before. And in fact, a couple of months 
back. I posted a screenshot of my character sheet on Twitter. I, I forget what the context was. And then someone um, replied back and poked some fun at my Valor Rank 5. And for those of you that don't PvP, you can get Valor Rank 5 in one or two war zones. I mean, I think you can just practically say the word PvP in your Rank 5. You don't have to do a lot of work to get to Valor Rank 5. So that just shows you how um, little to none, no PvP I've been doing on this main character. Well, now my rank is up to 16, uh, which still isn't high, but it's up to 16. And the reason is because I finally stepped into some war zones, and I'm probably going to do some PvP every week, if not every day now. Uh, the best part of having ranked up, by the way, is that I can now use the Republic and Imperial banner decorations you get from completing your Stronghold quests. Um, they didn't used to have a Valor requirement, but I think with Knights of the Eternal Throne, they were given one. And so I have a bunch of these from other tunes uh, that I haven't been able to use. So now I can actually go ahead and unlock those decorations. So yay for me. Uh, not only did I do PvP. But a few of us formed a group just last night and did some Galactic Starfighter. And I'll probably do more of that from now on. I definitely want to do some reading and watch some videos on GSF, though. Um, but I'd like to keep doing it, and I'd like to be halfway decent at it. And let me just say this. If you've been at all on the fence about PvP or GSF, just do it. And focus on having fun, and don't worry about winning or even being good. And I don't mean that you should just ignore the objectives and, or not try, or, you know, don't use the proper set of utilities or work on a ship build out. And that's not what I'm saying. If you're starting out, just focus on figuring things out and having fun. And chances are, especially with GSF, you're not going to be very good at it in the beginning. And as a result, you can quickly become frustrated and then never want to do it again. But if you allow yourself to have fun and then try to get better, then it's just going to be a much more rewarding experience. After all, these war zones and Galactic, Galactic Starfighter matches are a lot more fun and a lot more rewarding when you win. And heck, I'm even starting to enjoy Hutball, and I actually had a match where I scored, and I did it in style too, and the enemy was closing in, and then I turned my back to the goal and hit my rocket out, and boom, touchdown! Because uh, I play on a Merc, because everyone who PvPs plays on a Merc, right? Um, uh, and by the way, it just happens that my Merc is my main tune, so that wasn't actually a, a PvP decision. But what I'm saying is I'm really starting to enjoy it, and I definitely plan now to go read up on some of these war zones and try and figure out what some of the objective is so I can do more than just go in there and shoot people because uh, that's what I've been doing a lot of. And in fact, it's interesting to see, by the way, you know, in... in, in and on the surface, especially if you're a DPS, right, that may seem like a good thing. You go in there and you kill, you kill a lot of enemies, you kill a lot of enemies, but that's not necessarily, uh, the best thing. I mean, it's never bad to kill an enemy, but that isn't necessarily going to, uh, bring you victory. And I've seen, you know, a couple war zones where I was really low on the bottom, had more kills than anybody, you know, very few deaths, but, you know, but didn't necessarily contribute a lot to the objective. So, uh, I, but I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I would. So now I'm planning to go read up on some of these war zones and try and figure this out and just just get better and better. And same with Galactic Starfighter. So there you go. So go out there and try something new, and say what you will about Galactic Command. And it is far from perfect, but where I think it has succeeded 
isn't getting players like myself to get out of their comfort zone and try some things they wouldn't have otherwise. And I'm not saying that it justifies the whole galactic command system, but it is one of its accomplishments, and that's actually a pretty good thing. So, what might you ask was my motivation to try PvP and GSF? Well, I have two words for you. Unassembled components. So, I mean, in addition to trying War Zones and Galactic Starfighter, I spent a lot of time running ops this week. I did a mix of story and veteran modes. And what I noticed is this. If you are Galactic Command Rank 300 and earning Tier 4 crates, which a lot of people are, then the gear from story and veteran modes is nearly worthless. I mean, at best, you're getting a piece of 242 gear, which is Tier tier 3 Legendary. And yes, you can give it uh, to an alt if it's not a relic, an earpiece, or an implant. But ultimately, what I find is I'm running a veteran mode and targeting pieces where I don't have a 248. I'm then running War Zones and Galactic Starfighter trying to get unassembled components to upgrade that piece to a 248. And I have to say, it's a very roundabout way to get gear. And for a system that was pitched around its simplicity, um, it's grown amazing, like amazingly complex relative to what we had before Knights of the Eternal Throne. And I would dare to say that no one is having issues understanding how it works today, which is to say no one had any issues with how it worked previously, which I think was one of the selling points of Galactic Command. Uh, now, to make matters worse, players have noticed that loot from Master Mode Ops, by the way, is pretty terrible right now. And Master Mode is the mode formerly known as Nightmare Mode, and it's as if someone decided the Nightmare should be in the loot as well as the mechanics. And players were noticing that non-final bosses were dropping 244 prototype gear, which is slightly worse than, than 242 gear. It has the, the B mods in them, which are just pretty atrocious if you're a DPS or heals. And then sometimes uh, the bosses drop 246 artifact gear. But not only that, bosses were dropping gear for classes that weren't represented in the raid. And Eric Musco addressed this situation um, on the forums this week when he said, After talking with the team, currently, this is my error in the patch notes. It is intended that non-final bosses are dropping prototype and artifact gear, not unassembled, which is my error. However, given the feedback of this thread and the one you linked, the team is looking in looking at improving this experience in the future. Apologies for the confusion. I will let you know of any potential changes to this in the future, and I will get the patch notes updated. Now, the patch notes have indeed been updated, but here is the original patch note that was published when 5.2 was released. Tier 4 prototype and artifact unassembled gear pieces, master mode non-final bosses. And it should be noted that in a post about gear and ops changes that was released on March the 3rd, this is what was written. Tier 4 prototype and artifact gear, master mode, non-final bosses. So it was originally advertised correctly. However, things can and do change from the time they're announced to the time they're released. And we should be able to trust what's in the patch notes. But up until the patch notes were published, the loot drops were were, were known, right? The idea that... Uh, Master mode, non-final bosses were going to drop tier 4 prototype and artifact gear, uh, was something that we were told. However, I mean, until you actually get in there and start running this stuff and start seeing the gear and seeing, like, for example, that tier 4 prototype gear and you start getting some of it and you realize, eh, it's not really all that it's cracked up to be. 
it's it's understandable um, why you could certainly gloss over that along with some of the other other information uh, that we were given about 5.2 before it was released. But I mean, other than achievements and a desire to feed the hardest content, there's no benefit to running master mode ops right now. And it does sound like changes could be coming, and I wouldn't be surprised if non-final bosses are given a chance to drop 248 unassembled pieces, maybe with the chances going up the deeper you get into the op. Uh, but that's for a future update. And uh, and speaking of future updates, uh, like you, I am anxiously awaiting the arrival of the producer's roadmap. And there's no timetable for this other than the enigmatic soon but producer Keith Canig did hit up the forums this week uh, to talk uh, talk about it just a little bit. And in fact, one player on the forums asked if slash when Keith would be tackling the tough questions uh, that people are asking him about the game. And this was Keith's reply. And he said, I've seen many of them and I realize the clock is ticking and information never comes fast enough. In the meantime, I'm ensuring the roadmap is solid and expect it will address many questions, but not everything. Yet hopefully we can have additional dialogue to provide clarity for areas of concern. And he went on to say in a later post, Hey there, never is way too long of a time, so how about I include an update about class balance in the roadmap or sooner if I have it available. Uh, We're still working on the details and then it'll go through the normal internal review cycles. Once we are all in agreement, we'll get the roadmap posted up and then we can discuss the various upcoming changes. Okay. So file this under the some things change, others stay the same category. And having met Keith uh, in person at the Cantina Tour and based on some of his posts, I get the feeling that Keith, the player, would love to reveal anything and everything that they have planned for Star Wars The Old Republic. Sadly for Keith, the player, Keith, the producer, isn't a dictator and is beholden to whatever policies and governance they have in play regarding the dissemination of information meaning the type of information we're likely to get and how often we're likely likely to get it may prove to be the same old, same old. That said, I thought it'd be fun to give you my predictions for the producer roadmap, roadmap as well as tell you what I'd like to see in it. So here are some predictions, and this is what I think we're going to end up ultimately getting in the roadmap. Uh, there'll be talk about game update 5.3, which will comprise most of what we know already, right? That SNA and Avela... Uh, will be the new ops bosses, and of course the continuation of the Iocath story in the new Flashpoint on Umbara. Uh, let's see, there will be an approximate release for it, release date for it as well, I think. Uh, class balance changes, since you talked about including those in the roadmap, I think will probably be in the roadmap, but and coming in a future update, probably 5.3. Um, it won't get into, I don't think it'll get into the specifics of the changes, other than maybe identifying their goals for classes, which is, I imagine, they should all roughly perform about the same. Uh, game update 5.4 uh, will be mentioned, I believe, at a high level to follow later in the summer, and it may even list the new ops bosses. It may be one other feature. So that's what I think will definitely be in the roadmap, and that might be all they wish to tell us right now. And if Knights of the Eternal Throne has been any example, Bioware has been good about telling us what's coming. However... The tendency is to wait until it's very close to being released. And I'd like to get information that's further out, further down the line. And in fact, you know, here is what I want from, from the letter. 
you know, is there another expansion coming this year? And approximately when can we expect it? I have to think that there will be an expansion, you know, November, December timeframe, but I'd like to actually know that it's coming. Uh, how many game updates are they planning for Knights of the Eternal Throne? And what is the approximate release time for each? Does it need to be exact? High level, like, you know, hey, game update 5.3 coming in June, 5.4 coming in August, 5.5 in October, and a new X-Pack in December. And then three, what are the major features they are planning to bring us this year? Uh, most game updates have something big. Just tell us what it is. Again, I'm okay with a high level uh, until we get close. And, you know, for example, game update 5.3 will have a new flashpoint. Game update 5.4, new war zone. I'm not saying there is a new war zone, but that's the kind of kind of stuff I'd like to hear them tell us if it is coming. Uh, game update 5.5, new storyline. That's a prelude to the new expansion pack. The roadmap doesn't have to be super detailed, but it needs to have enough meat in it so we know where things are headed for the rest of this expansion and slightly beyond. Uh, you know, the question we all ask ourselves is why should I keep playing? And knowing what's coming down the pike helps to keep people engaged. The roadmap should get us excited and make us want to climb on that space bus and have an astromech service space pancakes while we go on this road trip. And hopefully we'll see the roadmap soon. Um, if it was up to me, I'd make sure it was released on Thursday because that's May the 4th, a.k.a. Star Wars Day. And we'll all be thinking about Star Wars and ready for some old Republic news. And speaking of May the 4th, as you all know, this year marks the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time calling it A New Hope. And I know it's the official name. It's not a Disneyfication. This is what George Lucas called it. He changed it for the film's theatrical re-release on April 10th, 1981. And it's been this way for 36 years. But if you were there in 1977 when the lightning struck, it's difficult to call it a new hope. And, you know, what can I say? I'm like the Lauren Sonteca of Star Wars fans. To me, she'll always be Star Wars. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on waxing nostalgic here, but I do remember when I saw it for the first time back in 1977. It released in May, but it was a crazy summer for me, and I didn't get a chance to see it then. Uh, fortunately, it was re-released to theaters in December, and it was a, on a cold December evening with flurries in the air that my dad took me to see it in the local two-screen theater, and that was it. I was hooked from the get-go, and there was no turning back. And I have to say, I was fortunate to get the opportunity to to see it in December, because in 1977, there were no DVDs or DVRs. Uh, VCRs were still in their infancy, and the competing formats of VHS and Betamax were just dropping their cloaks like to battle like Jedi and Sith. I mean, back in my day, if you wanted to watch Star Wars once it left the theater, you did it by listening to the soundtrack on your parents' record player. And that's a true story, folks. So, once it was gone from the theaters, it was gone. Anyway... As always, I like to tie these topics back to the Old Republic, and so today, I'm going to address the question that a lot of people love to ask, which is, would you play this game if it wasn't about Star Wars? Now, I hate this question. Maybe not with a passion, but I have a heavy dislike for it. And the reason I don't like it is because it's a trolling question designed to elicit a response along the lines of, I like Star Wars, but I don't like this game, so no, I wouldn't play it if it weren't about Star Wars. So my answer to the question of would you would, would I play this game if it weren't about Star Wars, well, in fact, it is no, but I don't think the game is terrible. And if I did think the game was terrible, I wouldn't play it. 
Star Wars, while not a gameplay feature per se, is hugely important. I don't think you can overstate the importance of Star Wars to this game. I mean, it permeates everything. The stories, the classes, the themes of the operations, war zones, and space battles. The environments like the planets, ships, and space stations, uh, the weapons, the vehicles, the sounds, and the music all have the Star Wars imprint on them. I don't role play, but I do like escaping reality and immersing myself in the Star Wars universe is a great escape. So when I log on, it's not just to progress my character or hang out with friends. It's to, you know, visit a part of that galaxy far, far away and live and breathe Star Wars for a couple of hours. So no, I wouldn't play this game if it weren't Star Wars. And I'd be missing out on a pretty good game if that were the case. But lucky for us, this is a Star Wars game. And this is a Star Wars podcast that is about to come to an end this week. So let me cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 35 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is currently SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. Now, if you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the podcast. And look for episode 36 on May 9th, 2017. And remember the Sith Code. Cake is alive.